Good morning, North Shore. How are you? I tell you what, uh, I was sitting through the first service, and then even now, uh, you can tell by the chorus of coughs that the flu season has landed, right? All right, so uh, take this as my prayer over you uh, for healing, but also if you are coughing, don't be embarrassed, right? We're glad you are here. Stay strong. If it's too bad, go home, right? <laughs> it's okay. Uh, you have a free excuse to uh, leave during the sermon, right? There you go. <laughs> but anyway, um, love you guys. Yeah, I want to take a moment uh, to invite you. I talk often about church being family. And tonight we have what we call Get in the Game. And it's our membership class, which is called 101. 201, which is we describe our method of uh, making disciples. And there's 302 is discovering your ministry, just, you know, what your gifts are, uh, what the needs are in the family, and get you connected in that way. So 101, I'll be teaching. I'd love for you to come out. You don't have to be a member if you take it. You can sit through that and say, well, boy, no way. But want to get a chance to tell you more about North Shore and invite you in. Because I, I believe this. You hear me say it all the time. But we are family. We are family. And we are meant to journey arm in arm, locked in, doing this together. And we need you... I believe as much as you need Christian community, right? So anyway, think about coming out. Five o'clock right here, there's dinner, there's childcare, if you need those things. I also want to celebrate last weekend. Uh, if you were here last weekend, um, uh, Wendell Moss, uh, Veronica Moss, you know, man, she, this song, I mean, it's still in my mind. I love it. I think my soul was changed because this powerful song that she sang. And then Wendell gave us a great message on the fate of Martin Luther King. We just looked at our Jesus and what does he have to say about uh, some of these ethnic tensions we find ourselves in. And this conversation we're having in our community, uh, Jesus, what do you say? Who do you want us to be? And man, he just, boom, teed it up and put it out of the park for us. So it's awesome. So if you haven't listened to it, go online and listen to it. And we know we don't want to stop the conversations there. So uh, we got, as you saw earlier, Missions Week coming up in a couple weeks. After that, we're going to create some opportunities to have conversations with Wendell uh, about this. So watch for those things. Be part of Missions Week. It's going to be awesome. We learn more about this. And I do think it's mission critical. If we're going to bring the gospel to our region, uh, learning how to have conversations is important. And uh, Nancy and her team do an amazing job. So be part of that. And I'm really grateful for Wendell. Um, if you need a Bible, slip your hand up. And ushers, they'll get a Bible to you. We're going to be in Philippians this morning. And we're back into our series in Philippians. And Philippians we chose because this is a church that the Apostle Paul has written a letter to. And this is a church that is thriving. It's making incredible impact in the, the known world at this time. And it's this church that Paul talks about joy. There's 19 references in four chapters on joy. So we named the series Real Joy. And, and the word real because Paul surprises us with how and where joy could be found. So we're going to look at this scripture uh, in Philippians 1, chapter, or verse 12 and through 18. And I started thinking about being surprised by joy. I think we all, hopefully all of us, have been surprised by joy at one time or another. 
I started thinking back in my life, a time that I was significantly surprised by joy. It was early in my ministry, young youth pastor from eastern Washington, and I was going to go on my first mission trip and lead the youth on this mission trip. And we're going to go to Haiti. Okay? Eastern Washington is not Haiti, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I heard all these things about uh, the despair, because it is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, okay? Uh, about the political instability that, and, you know, uh, the destruction and these different things. So I've got this picture painted, so I was like, you know, kind of anxious. So make our way to Haiti. And we land in the airport. I've got 30 kids trusted me to lead them on this mission trip, and I've never been on one. Um, in fact, I've only been to Canada outside of the U.S. at that time. And so you're probably thinking, what are those parents thinking? I don't know either. <clears throat> but off we go. And we go to the airport. My first culture shock like, whoa, okay, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore, okay? <clears throat> and we go there and go through Port-au-Prince, the capital. Um, and again, uh, the poverty, the destruction, yes, your eyes see that. And you're going through that. You see the struggle, okay? It's, it's very, very apparent. But there's something else. I mean, I knew I was going to this country where there's some of the most beautiful people in the world resided. I heard about that. And so that's proven to be true. There's these beautiful people. But there's something I didn't expect. And it's smiles. It's these smiles. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's laughing. And I'm thinking, wait, you are right in the middle of struggle. And there's smiles from these beautiful people. And so over those 10 days of being there, God taught me more than I think I brought there as I learned about these smiles and where they came from. And Paul does the same things in Philippians. <clears throat> He's going to surprise these Philippians by him finding joy in the struggle. So let's look at it. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, as we enter your word, we ask that you'd speak to us. Reveal to each one of us that which we need to hear. And your Holy Spirit knows that. So I pray you'd give our ears clarity. Give my voice clarity to speak your word. But allow it to do its powerful work in each one of our lives. Because we believe this, that we are going to encounter you, God. And we don't want to stay the same. We want you to transform us, to change us. So we offer our heart, our mind, our soul open-handed to you. Do your good work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so let's, let's look at the joy and the struggle. Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 12. We're going to see Paul has joy in the pain. Oh, that's good. This is my lovely wife. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> I always wonder this, right? <clears throat> Because I, I love the worship. But guess what? When you do it and then you speak, and your voice is just gone by the time you get here. But I can't not sing. I try to actually just mouth the words and they still bubble out. So, <clears throat> so you know this is coming from worship, and I hope it's not a cold setting in. <clears throat> we'll go with worship. <clears throat> Verse 12, Paul says he has joy in the pain. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
So Paul finds joy in his pain. Now, if you study at all in the scriptures and you look at Paul's imprisonment, this first time in prison in Rome, you think, he's at the Four Seasons, right? This is easy. He's renting an apartment. Um, he's hanging out. People can come and visit him. But that's not the story. That's not what's happening here. Is it a truth? Yes, but it's not the full truth. See, Paul's been in prison for five years at this point, two years in Rome. He is shackled to a guard. Okay, does this sound like the Four Seasons? And this guard is a Roman, right? And we know what that means. And the place that they stay in, this apartment, um, uh, it is a very dangerous place physically. If you look through history, uh, these buildings are collapsing everywhere. They flood, fires all the time. People are dying often. It's a very dangerous setting. This isn't some sort of easy flowing, hanging out. No, it's prison. Does a Roman prison get more difficult? Yes, his second imprisonment was that kind. But still, there's pain, there's struggle. And it's why the church in Philippi, which Paul started 10 years earlier, actually sends somebody, Epaphroditus, to come and minister to him because they understand that he's in pain. He's in the struggle. And so they actually bring him a gift to help him out. So Paul was in pain. He had struggles. But that begs a question for us in struggle. We think of struggles. We're Christians. Shouldn't life be just rosy and easy? We know Jesus. We've been saved. We're redeemed. Come on, come on, right? But no, why do we have struggles? How do we make sense of them? There's reasons that we have struggles, okay? The first is sin. Romans 5 tells us that sin entered through one man, and in came with sin is death and disease and brokenness. I say the ugly stuff. The ugly stuff that we have to deal in this world came through the gateway of sin, and we have to deal with that. It's part of this journey here. Also, we have the enemy of God. 1 Peter tells us, that he's like a prowling lion looking for someone to devour because what the enemy of God wants to do, Satan, he wants to trip us up. He wants to twist things for us so that we will get off mission and not impact the world for Jesus Christ. So he's always trying to get there. He doesn't have absolute power. God has that. But he roams around a little bit and tries to throw little hurdles in our way. There's also something called the reaping and sowing principle, Galatians 6, 7. Okay, what that means is there's consequences. That which you do, there's consequences. Generally, if you do good, you're going to get good. If you do bad, you're going to get bad. And a lot of struggles are because of this reaping and sowing principle. Now, I learned kind of a, a little um, thing through being a boat owner, okay? Um, so I try, I don't, I sold my boat in one year, right? Not a boat owner anymore, okay? Um, and so I learned something being a boat owner. S something called, they call it the stupid tax, okay? Has anyone heard of the stupid tax? Okay, yeah, I see some heads nodding. The heads nodding, those are the boat owners, okay? And here's the stupid tax, okay? When you do something stupid on your boat, it's going to cost you a lot of money. 
and nothing is cheap on a boat, right? And so, oh, messed up there. Okay, that would be $500. What? Oh, sorry. And, and I started finding out, well, that's a stupid tax. You do something stupid, guess what? You got to pay this tax. Life's that way too, right? You go outside of the law of God, the pattern of God, and the things that Jesus says, and there are consequences that we have to reap, and we have to live with those things. And struggles come that way from our choices, but struggles sometimes come from God's choices. James 1 talks about when trials come your way, they're sent by God, right, to grow us, to stretch us, to strengthen us, to mature us so that we are equipped to do God's work. So God sends struggles for us. Here's the thing in struggles. Oftentimes, we don't know why we're in it while we're in it. It hindsight's 2020 in most struggles. Some of them you can figure out real quick. Some of them you just don't know. So what does Paul do with his struggle? Well, he introduces the Philippians to a paradox. Okay, what a paradox is are two truths that don't seem to go together. They don't make sense. Seem contradictory. In the book of Colossians, which is another letter Paul wrote from this same time in prison, he says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. I have joy in my pain. That's a paradox. Doesn't make any sense, does it? And that's why Paul sends this letter back to him. He says, I've got to tell you something. You're worried about me. You know I'm in pain and I'm struggling. But I want to tell you, I'm good. I'm good. I'm okay. And this little section of scripture, it's Paul blowing our minds with this paradox that he has joy in the pain, joy in his suffering. Well, how does he get there? Because Paul has a preoccupation. There's a preoccupation, a single-mindedness, a focus on one thing, and that is the gospel advancing. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. His eyes are on Jesus. He is focused on Jesus. No matter what's going on around him, he is tuned in to the one thing, one thing, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, his eyes are not off what he's going through. No, he's not dumb. He understands this isn't fun. The Romans have me. I got some dude shackled to me. Right? So he doesn't ignore it. What he is is he's focused. Eyes on Jesus. The one thing. If you've talked to me in the last three weeks, I've had lots of conversations in the last couple of months, you're going to hear same thing. I should ask you, but I won't because I haven't told enough of you yet. But you're going to hear this. Come up, we talk, you tell me, and I always reply, eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. I hope every single one of you, well, now you just did, but hear it from me personally. Eyes on Jesus. The journey in your life, my life, and for North Shore Christian Church, right, it's one focus we're going to have. Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. Well, I saw an experience, a perfect example of somebody walking this out. 
when I was a youth pastor, I had a helper, a volunteer named Gary. Well, Gary, years before that, was a, a member, actually the president of a what we call a 1% motorcycle gang. Right? A very, very violent one. If I said the name, you'd know it, but I'm not going to. Um, and he, he did four long stints in prisons for different crimes of violence and illegal activity. On the fourth stint, he met Jesus Christ in prison. His life totally transformed. And then some years later is when we met. And he volunteered and started helping me in the youth group. And so we journeyed life together. Gary's an amazing man, a big, big man. <laughs> and uh, Gary was diagnosed with cancer sometime later. It was terminal. And so we walked out and we journeyed together. And toward the end of that time, Sandy and I and the kids, we were up there uh, helping with his yards, you know, mowing and all that stuff and picking up. And he was out, in, you know, in the yard trying to you know, just thank the kids and stuff like that. And he says, hey, man, I need to go in and lay down. He put his hospital bed in the living room. So I grabbed him. This monster of a man was just a fraction of that. So I grab him, his arms around him. We're going in. So we get into the house, and he looks at me. He goes, brother, this is the hardest ride I've ever been on. I said, yeah. And then something happened. A smile comes on his face. And he's in a lot of pain, a lot of pain. He says, I lived for Christ. And now I'm going to die for Christ. Right? That's what Paul's doing here. That he brought purpose into his struggle, purpose into his pain. Not, I'm glad I'm in prison. But there's a purpose, a greater purpose. Eyes on Jesus. Something greater that could be done in him and through him in the struggle. And that's what Gary showed. So Paul, continuing here, got joy from the pain. Not because of the pain, but in the pain. Notice the subtlety. But that wasn't the only thing that brought him joy. He found joy in the progress of the gospel. Verse 13. So that it has become known it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are more bold to speak the word without fear. So this gospel has progressed. It's become known of what's going on, that Paul is there because of Christ. It's become known to the non-believers, to these imperial guards. And these guards, um, this is the, the special forces, about 10,000 strong, the, the power unit in the military for Rome. And in a lot of times in history, this group was more powerful than the emperor. So these were the scary, scary people. And Paul was shackled to one of them every day. And they were around. And because the, Paul lived for Jesus, eyes on Jesus in this struggle, they became aware that he's not here for criminal reasons. He's here because of Christ. He's serving this Jesus. This man from 
Nazarene, this, this little small group of people. And wow, look at this. So they became aware of Jesus because of Paul's faithfulness. And you're going to learn later in the book of Philippians that some of them became Christians. They accepted Jesus because of his faithfulness. I was reflecting on this this week. I don't know if it's a good illustration, but it's an example you might grab. Tim Tebow. Most of you know Tim Tebow? Okay. Tim Tebow was a football player, played in college, won the Heisman Trophy, um, uh, had horrible quarterback mechanics. Okay. Could barely get out into the NFL, right, and just kind of sputtered around, ended up getting drafted by a team, and it was a suit, I mean, lots of things. You know? So a little bit of the laughing stock of football, if you would, for a while. And then everybody that could got hurt, and the team was really bad, and, and so they put Tim Tebow in. And the team started winning. And it, as an ex-football coach, it wasn't pretty, just so you know. It was not pretty at all, um, but it was powerful. And something you might remember is every time the camera went on Tim Tebow that he wasn't, you know, playing, he was on a knee, right? The Tebow prayer, you know what I'm talking about? And the world started talking about Jesus. They became aware. Why is he playing? Because whether he won or lost through an interception or not, everybody complained. It's about Jesus. Not one person that glanced Tim Tebow's way was confused at all of why he was doing and who he was. It was because of Jesus. And I believe people probably came to know Jesus because of that. I know as a believer, it was impacting. And I think that's what happened with guards, even non-believers. But there's impact with believers as well. The brothers in the area were impacted. They watched Paul living out his faith. Man, you're up there in, in the palace. You're impacting Rome. Come on now. Then maybe I can do something. Maybe I can share with my neighbor Maybe I should be just a little more bold. If you're willing to do that, I'm in. Because when people in any situation, let alone struggles, start living for Jesus, eyes on Jesus, it's contagious. We've all been there. You go in there. You go to that hospital room. You grab that hand. And all of a sudden those eyes open up and they're fragile and they're weak. And what they say is, I'm doing it for Jesus. Man, it doesn't it impact you? All of a sudden you're not such a scared little guy going out to share Jesus with people and walking the faith out. If they can do it then, then I can do it in this situation. It's contagious. When someone points to Jesus, we love it. So that's what's happening, man. This gospel is progressing and it's powerful and there's movement. So the question is, how does Paul, how do we learn how Paul did this? How did he move from this place of pain, struggle, for it wouldn't defeat us but it actually progressed the gospel further. We see a couple of things he did. First of all, he stepped in. Did you know Paul volunteered, basically, to go to Rome and Jerusalem? They're after him. He was warned, don't go to Jerusalem. That's where he was arrested five years earlier and brought through prison. Paul said, no, I'm going. Because he wanted to go preach in Rome. And he knew he was a Roman citizen. So I went down there that they wanted to tear him apart like a pack of wild animals. They're so mad of his engagement with what we call the Gentiles. And he said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. I, I got to get up to Rome because that's who has to hear this case. He knew it. 
Off he went. And he knew very well that this is going to be a tough, tough road. And so he traveled it, right? So he stepped into it. He leaned into the tough situation. A lot of times when struggles come, we want to run. We want to run from them. Paul doesn't do that. I don't think Paul's having a good time, just so you know. But I think he leans into this. And then when he leans into that, he says, okay, this is what it is. I don't have control of this imprisonment. But what I have control is what this mouth does. And he speaks up, shares the gospel, impacting the whole world. I mean, we really are here because Paul professing the gospel in that prison. You know, he speaks up, he steps up. I was reminded of 1 Peter 3. And I think Paul is just living this out. 1 Peter 3, 14 through 15. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So what you see in this scripture, it talks about, hey, here's a tough situation. Trouble, pain. Paul's living that out. It says, be steady. Be steady. Live it out. Whatever comes your way, make a decision and a choice that I'm going to be focused on the one thing. And that's Jesus Christ. Eyes on Jesus. Okay? Because what this does is there's a cool assumption here. If you will do that, it says they're going to ask. They're going to wonder what makes you tick. How do you walk through that so different than everybody else? When this situation rises up, that relationship, how are you different? Why are you different? And they're going to ask, and it says, be ready. Be ready to give that answer of what that hope is, what inspires you, what motivates you, what allows you to walk that tough road. It's Jesus Christ. And speak up. Say the name of Jesus. Don't have to be a jerk. Don't have to be a loudmouth. Just profess the name that motivates your lifestyle because your heart's been changed and regenerated by Jesus. Right? Press in. Press in. My buddy Gary, I told you about, okay, he had his hospital bed right in the living room because he had two goals, okay? One, I'm going to age myself, okay? Uh, he had a huge set of Chuck Swindoll cassette tapes, okay? He did. And he says, Lord, I ask you, do not take me until I finish all every cassette. The day before he died, he finished his last cassette. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, right? Um, the, yeah, yeah, uh, the second thing, um, he says, I want to tell everybody about Jesus. So I don't want to be in some back room up there. Put me right in the living room. And everyone's going to hear about Jesus. And that's what Gary did. And then he did. He came to pass. He died. Um, and I'm not... The older I get, the more I cry. I'm finding this out. I'll have to figure that out, and I'll, I'll bring it out in a message. But I'm, this whole crying thing is becoming just kind of normal now. It wasn't then as a young man, right? And at his funeral, I sobbed. First time I can remember crying, really, let alone in public. Uh, and Sandy and I are there, and we're just sobbing because what happened is he designed his own funeral, right? Wrote his own message. And what the law enforcement did because uh, he had so many felonies that he could not be around everybody else that had felonies, which was his whole gang. 
but the gang got permission because he died uh, that they could come to the funeral. That was the most interesting funeral I've ever been to. Listen, the people coming, you can hear from a mile away. And they were scary dudes, right? You know, because he was in, uh, his gang was from Southern California. And we're up in the corner of Eastern Washington, right? You know, I, I, so we're just all, that's, we're just, that's who we were, okay? You can go with that, okay? And all of a sudden, these big, gnarly dudes, a lot of them just rumble into that place, take it over, and sit in there. So we're in there. And in his struggle, he starts sharing through his words. His wife's reading it. And I'm not joking you. Revival broke out. I watched more gang members come to know Jesus Christ, right? His son, who they've been separated for years because of his rotten lifestyle, would have nothing to do with him, walks up front and accepts Jesus Christ as a Savior. Right there. I mean, so you're looking at these people, and they're like, did you know he's a sergeant of the arms of this gang? Which would mean that's the heavy, the thug, right? Um, that hurts people, and this gang hurt a lot of people. Um, and we saw revival break out because he leaned in to that tough, tough moment. And he said, my eyes are going to be on Jesus. I'm going to die for Christ. And he did it, and he put words to it. And that's powerful. So Paul seems to shift gears here a little bit. But really is this. Our struggles are not only going to be situational. They're going to be relational too. And right now in your heart you're saying, amen, right? Because most of us are going to deal with those for sure, right? So here's what Paul finds. He finds joy in the panorama of partners. Now in alliteration, this is a double word bonus for you, okay? So, so uh, glad to tell you. So you, but a panorama, the wide view of these partners. Let's walk through this. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So Paul talks about two people here. First of all, he talks about those with goodwill that love him. These are the people that are in step with him. They understand what his mission's about, and they are locked in. I'd say this is kind of like his inner circle, his peeps. See, you need those. You need to have people that you're in step with in mission that know your heart, know what you're about, and they're with you. So I'm curious, in your own mind, do you have that? Who are your peeps? Who's your posse? Who's with you? Well, unfortunately, we all live in a lonely world, right? So I would not be surprised if in your mind you're saying, I don't have one. This is it. Well, I'm glad. Shameless plug coming. Come to the membership class. Be part of it, okay? Uh, but that, yeah, I know I was bad. I'm sorry. Um, uh, with this is, uh, is this. But you need that. And really, this is too big. You, you need it even tighter, right? 
relationship. You need it. So Paul talks about, I've got these good wills, but he brings up somebody else, this panorama, this wide scope of people, and the people that he has tensions with or struggle with, Paul's rivals. And you have to understand this as we walk into this, is these people are preaching the, the gospel. They're preaching Christ. These are not enemies of Paul. These are friends. You with me? These are friends. These are people that he's, in a sense, on mission with. Now, does he know all of them personally? Probably not, but you, you get what I mean. They're, 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 they're together, but there's something going on. There's a problem. There's tension. There's struggle because they want to afflict him. Now, why, we don't really know, okay? But there's two possible reasons, okay? One is they could be jealous. Paul is in Rome impacting the whole Roman Empire. And someone could be back and, man, I, I want a piece of that pie. I'm jealous. I wish I was having that much impact and effect, but I'm just little me over here. Look at Paul. And so they get jealous. And so they could be wanting to afflict him out of jealousy. Or it could be the side of selfish ambition. Right? Meaning they want a piece of that pie. And so let's get him in trouble and get him out of here. There's another group. Could be mad at his approach. Paul, we got this kind of delicate balance right now in the Roman Empire. These are big, scary, mean people that killed you if they don't like what you're doing. So Paul, would you dial it down just a little bit? You're going to make them mad. And understand, they are two years, I think it is, maybe three, two and a half years, away from the greatest persecutions that Christians have ever known. It is horrible. If you read it, you can't even believe that it's a human experience and what Christians went through at the hand of Nero, who is the emperor right now. In a couple years, a fire breaks out, blames the Christians, and it gets ugly. Absolutely ugly. So you know that that tension is rising. And they're saying, Paul, come on, man, come on. Dial it back, dial it back. People aren't going to like us. They're going to get mad. And they're going to do this thing. Just chill out. For some reason, there is rivalry there. And it could be a combination of both those things. But I asked myself this question as I was studying the scriptures. Do we have rivalry in our friend group, in our partners on mission? And it took me about 30 seconds. I said, oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. No, no, we have rivalry, okay? We have rivalry in the form of our liturgy, right? And that's how we practice our faith. Oh, I don't like that song. I don't like, you know, that genre of music. And I don't, I don't like that, you know, we don't all read from the same thing. Hey, I don't like that, you know what I mean? Dot, dot, dot. And again, these come out of my mouth too. Say, we, we all struggle with this stuff, right? This liturgy and how we practice our faith creates a tension in us, and I don't like, I don't like, I don't like, and it creates this rift, this struggle in the family. Our language is, right? You go up and talk to somebody, and you think, I don't even know what you're talking about. Do we believe in the same Jesus? I, I don't get that. And you get this huge thing of how we speak, how we even, you know, interact with our scriptures, and how we love our Jesus. Can these aren't enemies in our lifestyle, right? Oh, man, 
well, I don't do that. Well, I, what I do do that. And I really saw this, and it's probably an example I shouldn't use, but I'm going anyway. Um, is this, you know, um, this is my third church I've worked in. So my first church, when I got hired, I had to sign a 15-page document on moral conduct. I mean, it's like, I really don't think Jesus would have qualified to work at this church, just so you know. Um, and I'm far enough removed now, I kind of, I might have lied a little, right? You know, but here's the deal, okay? Um, to sign up to be part of this thing. And then every volunteer had to do this. Um, there is crazy things. You could not go to a PG-13 or higher movie. So, man, Disney was rocking it in my world, right? Um, right? Um, alcohol. You could not touch a drop of alcohol. None. So, you know, okay, good. You know, just, you know it's all about Jesus. We're rolling, rolling, right? Well, then I get my next job, right, up at Orcas Island. Uh, and I roll in there, and we have the first staff meeting. And so we roll in there, and it's a margarita night. <laughs> I'm not even joking you. There's blenders everywhere, and everyone's hooting and hollering, thinking, man, okay, Lord, you know, that back to it, man, Toto, you are not in Kansas, okay? Um, and, of course, you sit there and say, what do I do, right? Um, and, and I love to say in North Shore there's a blend and a wonderful of that. Um, <laughs> But you understand that to one people group, that life says, no, that's a violation. That's a violation of the gospel, and it creates a rift. Other people say, hey, come on, you prude. What are you doing adding to the law? You know what I mean? I'm not even telling you right now what's right or wrong. I'm just saying you understand the tension, and the list is long. The list is long, and we all have it. It's called sacred cows we have. And it cre creates rivalries within us. So what does Paul say? Why does he put this in this letter? He's making a strong statement to them to fight for relationship. That's why this is here. Fight for relationship. Now understand this. As we talk about this, Paul is not saying being soft on the gospel. Galatians 1, whoo, you mess with the gospel. You bring heresy. Paul, go, he throws it down. It's time, right? He makes a strong stand for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not what he's talking about at all here. What he's talking about is brothers living in unity. And where did he learn it? He learned it from Jesus. God came to earth. Jesus. You know, and then he started public ministry with his baptism. And then he went and he grabbed 12 guys and called them together to start the Christian movement. Right? to establish it. Those 12 guys couldn't be any more different. I mean, you talk about a diverse group. I mean, it, politically, their personalities, uh, the way they practice their faith, um, just different. Social, economical, they're just different. And Jesus calls them together, and then he fights for their unity all through it to the place that is prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. In John 17, he prays for their unity. Fight for relationships was the message of Jesus. Here at North Shore, we, we, we practice that. That is our intent, and that is our goal, and what we're coming off of what we see in Romans 14, this call to us to love one another and be unified. And we're following uh, not a creed, but kind of a, a teaching, if you would, of the early church. And it's this statement. 
that really describes this well. We don't know who wrote it, but uh, it's powerful. And it says this about doctrinal things and our practices and faith. It says, in the essentials, unity. The essentials, salvation things. Heaven and earth conversations. Unity, locked in, together. In the non-essentials, the non-salvation things, liberty. I mean, are those conversations we have in the non-essentials important? You better believe it. But what you do there is you don't draw a sword. You pull up a chair and say, let's talk. Let's talk. I love you. I don't agree with this. I practice this. Here's why I practice this. Hmm, you practice that way? Let me listen to you. Let me learn from you. Let's do this. And when we're done, let's stand up, shake hands, because we got something to go do together. It's not fighting about the color of the carpet. Amen. Right? Right? You with me? Come on, church. Um, and it says, uh, in all things, in all things, in everything, charity or love. Everything. Love. You know, it's interesting. Again, uh, something I might be embarrassed, but I got to tell you, okay? This is like some sort of truth serum or something. Um, uh, <laughs> is this. Uh, when I took the job at North Shore Christian Church, I had no idea what Christian Church was. I thought it was just a name of, oh, you're Christians in your church. Oh, that's cool. That's easy. Got it. Okay? I heard about Overlake Christian Church that planted this, and, you know, but, you know, I didn't know because the Christian Church movement, as it's called, isn't significant in the West Coast. That's a Midwest thing, right? So we don't even, t you know, you say Baptist, Lutheran, okay, got it. I know what those things are, okay? Not Christian church. So after I got here, I started hearing this word movement. It's like, what? Are you talking about the Overlake Christian Church movement? No, no, it's a movement. So I started research and I found out later what the Christian church movement is, okay? It is a group of churches back in the late 1800s early 1900s, that looked around the landscape of the American church and said, this is ridiculous. We are fighting amongst each other. We're, you know, all this denominationalism, and we're doing nothing for the kingdom. We're losing ground. So guess what? We're scrapping that. We're going to get back. We're going to restore what the focus was at the beginning, that it's about Jesus Christ, it's about his word, and about the mission. Let's go. And so a group of people got together and said, we're not going to call ourselves a denomination. We're going to use biblical terms to name our churches. That's why it's Christian and church, because you can find that in the Bible. Okay? That's, it is true. And then North Shore is part of a, a wing of that called the Independent Christian Church, which their main focus, okay, is the restorative but the unity aspect, because they're going to restore the church's original purpose, right? That's what the restoration movement is if you ever studied this. North Shore and the Independent Christian Church is about the unity. So a core value, when you see North Shore Christian Church, okay, you write underneath that unity for the mission of Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. That's what this place is about. You're going to walk around this building and you're going to be blown away by different Christians beliefs and things and different doctrines and preferences and all that stuff. And here, ready? As it should be. If you hear heresy and false teaching, well, by all means, let's, you have a conversation. You, you take a stand. 
But when someone's just processing something, grab a chair, sit down, love them, talk to them. And that's what Paul's getting at, this fight for relationships, because we are stronger together. See, there is a world going to hell without Jesus. God has poured into and empowered through the Holy Spirit an army. And in this sphere of influence, it's called North Shore Christian Church. And he says, church, I need you to be together. Because what happens is the Christian army spends times with all the infighting. We don't actually wage war with the gospel out there. We fight over what, you know, color the carpet is or the, the song selection or whatever, 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 right? And we never engage the world with the message of Jesus that they desperately need. And we desperately need to be given it out because it's life-giving to us as well, right? So where does Paul land this thing? He, he lands it right back what he already talked about, a single focus. And again, the solution's the same. Eyes on Jesus. Verse 18, he has joy in the proclamation. What then, he says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. What he's saying this, and, I mean, and this is a powerful one. He says, and I like some of the translations of this. It's a little cleaner. Either way, Either way, as I look at these things, either way, I have joy because it's of gospel focus. I mean, this is a powerful moment. I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way up here. But this is a powerful moment for Paul. He's saying, here's my heart. Either way is Paul's confession of his one focus. It's about Jesus. Either way. I'm telling you that there's one answer. So in all things, there's one thing, one answer, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. With every question we have, the answer is Jesus. Jesus is a hope for all humanity in all arenas and all places. Paul understands what he penned in 1 Corinthians 5.17. That the old is gone, the new has come. We are new creations. Everything is made new by the power of the gospel, the power of the resurrection in our life. We're given a new heart, a new mind, new eyes, new ears. We're given a new hope. This is not our home. This is not our home, folks. We are here for mission. So whatever struggle, whatever thing you find yourself in, for whatever, whatever reason you find yourself in it, the one thing is the answer because you're living for your true home. And that's heaven, eternity with Jesus. And so we have the privilege and the opportunity to live heaven out here and then give it out here. And God called people into him, right? That's the power of the gospel. Eyes focused. So we're going to sing right now, Christ alone. Eyes on Jesus. And I want you to join me in everything going forward, North Shore. Everything. 
We'll talk about a million things, but our conclusion's always the same. Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. This is going to be a Jesus thing, and he's going to use us to change this reason. All over here, the, you know, Snohomish County, wherever God has us, God's going to do a, a great work because we're going to have our eyes on Jesus. We're not going to play church. But as we sing this and we talk about these things, um, you know, I understand that I'm talking to a people group and myself. I mean, this is a tough week. Man, you talk about a message that was just ringing in my mind as I was anguishing over some church stuff going on. Uh, I was like, Lord, what do I do? And guess what he said? Hey, you know that message you're getting ready for? Why don't you listen to yourself for a second? Right? Yeah, come on. Uh, he says, Scott, eyes on Jesus. Don't underestimate the gospel at work. Because it's, it's, it's about Christ alone. Okay? So whether your struggle today is physical. Maybe you're in that spot. It's just, ugh, scary. Whatever. The answer is the gospel. So I'd ask you, where do you need the gospel? Where do you need Christ to work in that? And you know we're going to have a time of prayer and processing because that's what family does. We are a house of prayer because we believe God does a great work. Maybe your situation is relational. Maybe it's just that thing that just can't, doesn't seem to be working out. There's just a tension. That, that marriage just won't feel like it's going to heal. Where do you need Jesus? Where do you need gospel power? Step into it. And it could be lots of situations. Where do you need Christ? Where do you need the gospel's power? Now, you might be somebody as you hear this, you say, I don't, it's not Christ alone I'm thinking about. I don't have Christ at all. And what he calls you, the very first step is for you to understand the power of this resurrection, to allow him to come into your heart and your life and restore you into who he created you to be. And that's where the power of the resurrection of the cross works in our lives. We say, I am a sinner. I am away from you, God. Forgive me. And he accepts that. Romans 10 says, believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you shall be saved. And that's the start. And I, I pray and I actually beg you because of my own transformation by this gospel of Jesus Christ, do not wait another second. Don't let pride embarrassment. You come up. I'll be right down here. There'll be people up here. You come praying. You say, God, I, I want you to my life by faith. Don't waste. Because it's in Christ alone. Everything. So church, North Shore, let's set our eyes on Jesus. Ministry team, come up and we'll be ready to pray. Eyes on Jesus, North Shore.